You're listening to the Diabetic Running Podcast, helping people run their blood sugars one workout at a time. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 11 of the Diabetic Running Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Fodi. Today on the show, I have Kristen Fallible. Kristen is the Denver Type 1 Run Chapter Leader and works as an Advocacy Director for the American Diabetes Association. If you follow Kristen online, which you probably should, she's constantly working to improve the lives of Type 1s all over the world. And I'm actually pretty jealous of her ability to constantly stay so involved within the community. Kristen is a freelance writer for Diabetes Daily and a Colorado governor appointee on the Health and Active Lifestyle Statewide Council. She has been living with type 1 diabetes for 18 years and has been running since 2010. She's raced trail half marathons, 10 milers, and 10Ks, and we really took this opportunity to talk about how running has helped her manage her A1C, and we also talked a little bit about her success on MDI and how she manages that with her running. We also talked a little bit about our mutual hesitation about switching to the insulin pumps and a whole lot more about being a type one runner. So without further ado, here's my interview with Kristen. So I'm joined here today by Kristen Fallibel. Kristen, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I, um, I'm so happy that you took time out of your Sunday to meet with us. Uh, before we get started, where are you? What's the weather like there? And then what's running like there these days? Yeah, sure. So I'm in um, sunny Denver, Colorado, and today it'll be around 50 degrees, which is really great for January. I actually just finished a morning run, so um, still in my running gear and a little breezy, but not too bad. See, I would visualize January in Denver being like 10 degrees. Right? Yeah, everyone does. Um, Do don't tell check- anyone, but yeah. the weather's beautiful here. <laughs> Do you have to check your like weather app every day to see, like, oof, am I going to be wearing pants or shorts tomorrow for the run? Because I, I find yeah. myself doing that in Alabama, but I feel like yeah. if I was in Denver, I would assume that I have to wear full kit every day every time I go outside. Yeah, totally. I mean, so this upcoming Tuesday, it'll be near 70, um, and then we're expected snow by the end of the week. So it's always something different. Um, but that's kind of nice because I really don't dread wintertime then. Um, there, cause there's just so much nice weather if you just wait long enough. So that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And so if, if you could talk to us a little bit about how long you've been a diabetic and if you, if you want to kind of caveat that with when you started running and how you got into the running community or the endurance community and tell us a little bit about you and your story for diabetes and sport. Sure. Yeah. So I was diagnosed with type one diabetes, in the year uh, 2000, June 2000, I was on family vacation in Virginia Beach, and I was 12 years old. So coming up on my 18th anniversary this June, mm-hmm. um, and I remember when I was first diagnosed, one of the doctors, um, when you know I was in the emergency room, I asked about cheerleading if I could, you know, stay stay on cheer my cheer squad, and he said that I probably shouldn't do competitive sports in my life just because I would be too brittle. Yeah, and I've heard that from a lot of people that like they get kind of sometimes counterintuitive recommendations from doctors about being an athlete. Yeah, and it just blows my mind, like thinking back to that day and being warned against exercise. And <laughs> I was always a really stubborn kid, and. I just always wanted to prove people wrong. So then I kind of went out of my way to sign up for sports teams in high school. Um, so I was on the tennis team and the ski team and track and field. And I wouldn't where did, say where I Where did loved, you grow up? I grew up in, in, in Pennsylvania, in the Poconos of Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah, because you said ski um, team. And I'm like, oof, I've never heard of a yeah. ski team before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And 
you know, it was, I didn't fall in love with running in high school. I kind of dreaded it Mm -hmm. mostly because coaches use exercise almost as a punishment. And so if you're late to practice, you have to run, you know, 800 more meters and that sort of thing. And it doesn't really set up a good mentality around exercise. Um, but I noticed that the more I ran and the more I exercised, my blood sugars were always better. So I would say I really got into running. Um, it was after college in like 2009, 2010. Um, and a lot of my friends started running, you know, like the silly 5k races and 10k races. And so I started running for them, um, and just found that it was so much fun. And then as a side benefit, my blood sugars were always way better after. And I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, were you, you know, I, were you struggling with blood sugars going into like running for the first time consistently? Totally. Or, yeah. I mean, what was that? You like? know how it is. Yeah. So it's like you eat a lot of food to kind of carb up for a run and then you crash immediately after. And, um, just super frustrating in the beginning when I first tried running and, um, it takes a while to get the rhythm of it and, you know, to make sure you have enough IOB and, and carbs, but not too much, you know, not too many. Um, but it, it took a while to get that rhythm right. And it's still like trial and error. I mean, um, you know, I still have days where I head out and I'm 180 and I think I'm safe. And then I crash after 10 minutes, but you know, it's, um, always a work in progress. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your experience with blood sugars before you started running. So like, uh, you know, were you seeing a lot of highs? Were you seeing a lot of lows or was it just, was it more of like an insulin sensitivity issue? Do you think, or kind of how did, how did your average blood sugars started to, to change? I want to say when you started running, did it, did it help Mm -hmm. at all? And what was the experience like for that? Yeah. I think, you know, when I started running, it just made me more attuned with what my body responds well to. And so it kind of was, you know, all at once, I started paying more attention to blood sugars, and then my diet and then exercise. And before running, you know, a teenager with diabetes, I really wasn't that compliant. And I never want to test my blood sugar. This was way before CGM, um, and, and before Humalog. So I was on RNNPH. Um, so I never wanted to test my blood sugar. And my A1C is probably in the nines. But I just didn't pay that much attention. And then once I started running, you know, I realized like, wow, my blood sugar isn't 280 all the time. And then I started playing around with my diet a little bit and just fine-tuning things more. Um, and so I think just overall, I just started to feel so much. What did you, what do you think that you changed about your diet? Was it, was it being more particular about carb counting or did you actually start to change the things that you ate? Yeah. So I've always kind of flirted with, um, vegetarianism and veganism. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was a vegetarian when I was a teenager, but didn't really pay attention to carbs at all. Um, aside from, you know, how many am I, am I eating at a particular meal, but I would, you know, eat ice cream whenever I wanted to, or pasta. And I think, and not really pay attention to the repercussions of what I was eating either. I wouldn't test two hours after a meal and that sort of thing. Um, and then when I started playing with it, um, you know, eating less carbs and more protein and, um, balancing that out and then just realizing how much better I feel when I, you know, don't spike to 300 after lunch, (laughs) (laughs) that sort of. And so the audio had cut out for a second, but you said you were probably consistently in the A1C range of nines. 
Um, do you think mm-hmm. that, do you think, I mean, you don't have to share your new numbers, but do you think it's a lot better now that you've been running and being a little bit more specific about your diet and exercise? Yeah, totally. I mean, my A1Cs have been in the sixes for the past four years. Um, so I I feel great. And, you know, even days where I like to exercise first thing in the morning, of course, because it just sets the trajectory for the rest of the day. But if for some reason I don't, you know, I have an early meeting, um, and I don't get to go running until after work, I notice that my blood sugars are just elevated all day to get that exercise in. So, Mm -hmm you know, I can really see on a day-to-day basis how much better it is when I get some exercise in. So you've been a diabetic for 18 years. You might be able to explain this really well. What is it like going to the endo and knowing that your A1C is going to be around nine compared to six? Because I, <laughs> I don't know why, but for some reason, like if an endocrinologist praises me, it just somehow like validates all of the stress and work that I've done for the past three to four months. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. is it is it better? Like, do you dread going to the endo less or is it still painful? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, and my mom would, of course, schedule my uh, quarterly endo appointment, and I would, you know, skip the doctor's appointment sometimes, because I'm like, I know I've been consistently high for the past three weeks, so if I just wait, you know, maybe I won't get yelled at as much. And then, (laughs) Do they yell at you? uh, Not, they were stern, you know. Um, I was a stubborn, like, 16-year-old, but now Mm. when I go, I don't feel like I'm going to be reprimanded. It's more of an ongoing conversation of how can we make things better for you? Not, Oh, look what you've done again. So, um, I would say I dread it less. I still don't like getting my A1C taken. I is as odd as it sounds. I kind of have a fear of needles, like going into my vein like that. I can't look. So Mm, um, I completely understand before I was diagnosed, I was needle phobic, like shots. Yeah. Getting my blood drawn, anything. And so now I've had to come to terms with it, but I still don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it either. Yeah. <laughs> We're and and people are surprised when I tell them I don't like needles, or they're surprised when I say, "Oh, that shot hurt." Um, <laughs> you know, they'll say, "Oh, wait, it still hurts. Haven't you gotten used to it?" And it's yeah. like that's the equivalent of someone saying, "Like, oh, you got used to someone punching you in the face every day." I mean, <laughs> it's, really yeah, it's never it's never great. All right, so yeah. are you on MDI or are you on a pump? I'm MDI. Yeah, um, I've I'm so you on face more needles than. Some people. Yeah, I would say probably 10 shots a day, um, which sounds like a horror film to most people. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I am so active and I was on a swim team in high school. And so I just hated the tubing and my um, insertion site was always falling out. And then I studied abroad a lot in undergrad um, and I lived abroad for a while. So it was always just more comforting just to have the syringe and bottle instead of dealing with all the batteries and tape and tubing and everything. Um, You know, I do have the CGM, which is awesome. And the combo of MDI and CGM has been really awesome for me. I'm flirting with the notion of getting the Omnipod. I I don't know if you have any insights into that, but. Yeah. Well, for anyone listening, I'd please reference Craig's episodes. I think it was episode three. He gives some really good insight about using the Omnipod and being on the Omnipod, especially specific to running. And he talks Mm -hmm. a little bit about his basal rates and kind of when and how he boluses for runs. But I have a lot of guests on the show and I've interviewed a lot of people that love the Omnipod, Um, Mm -hmm. especially like the freedom that it brings without the tubing. It's always there and it has its own memory. So you can kind of program basal rates into that, go run without your, you know, your personal computer. 
Oh, nice. Personal yeah. diabetes manager, whatever it's called. I, I'm not on Omnipod, but I hear a lot of great yeah. things about it. Um, and I even listen to other podcasts where they advocate Omnipod a lot. And I know it seems like a pretty good thing. But yeah. I have to say that too. The MDI seems kind of nice because I was on that for a while. And it's probably, I think I slept better on MDI because I wasn't constantly like wrapped around the tubing of my, right. know, my <laughs> pump. Or I wasn't like yeah. on it and it hurt and then I had to change positions and. I could see right. how that's a pain. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like about MDI is that probably every other day I find that one spot on my stomach that's for some reason the most painful injection spot in the world. Yeah. And every every time I go to put it in, I always think to myself, is today the day that I find another one of those spots? Oh, it's awful. Yeah. 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 And I don't know about the pump. I just feel like I'm running out of spaces for um, sites. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. So how do you think the MDI works for running? I think it works okay. I think, you know, it's definitely a science and an art. Um, so, you know, and a lot of my runs are just dictated by, you know, what have I eaten in the past 12 hours? And, is it, you know, am I stressed? Did I get, get enough sleep? Have I had any water? Um, so I've had a lot of runs be just completely ruined by too much IOB. And then other times it works out beautifully. Um, I think, in contrast to being on a pump, when you are just on daily injections, you um, you really have to think about, you know, eating versus not eating before. Caffeine even really greatly affects, you know, what I can, if I can run, how I spike. Um, and you have to carb load much more than if you were on a pump. So if you're on a pump, you can just disconnect um, and that constant stream of insulin goes away. But you know, if I run in the morning, I've taken my Lantus 12 hours before, so I don't, I have no control over what's been injected already. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but it, it works for me most days, I would say. So what's your regimen look like now? Let's say you're going to do a training run in the morning. What are you, what are you eating nowadays? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I do like to run first thing in the morning before I've had anything. Um, and I, I can't run without coffee and that's not diabetes related. That's just <laughs> being a human. Um, yeah. so I'll usually have a cup or two with almond milk, uh, sweetened and insulin. And then I head out on like a five to six mile run and I'm usually, and then I'll eat breakfast and that usually is okay. Yeah. Where do you run at? Cause I, once again, I haven't been to Denver a lot. I've been, I think it was you, it was you yesterday. You were in Breckenridge, which is like one of my favorite like resorts and towns in Colorado, but I haven't been to Denver a lot. So talk a little bit about what it's like running there and where you run. Like, do you just run out your front door and hit the roads or do you try to hit trails? Yeah. I love trail running when I have time, um, to get out there, but sometimes the drive, you know, to the trailhead and, and home and everything is like, I could have finished my run by the time I, I got here. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's more space dedicated to parks than any other major city. And the, we live right around like, three big parks. Um, and I'll just head there. So is it like paved trails? Well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what are you eating when you get back home? So when I get back home, you know, I try to uh, limit refined carbs and sugar and all that kind of stuff. So it's mostly protein and vegetables when I get in. Um, is that like an all day thing or like a morning thing? All day, pretty much. Um, some people would say I'm, I'm strict, but I try and eat less than 60 carbs a day. Um, now, of course, that's different if I'm running a half marathon or something. Um, and I never, like, obviously restrict when I'm low. But um, I eat a lot of, like, slower digesting carbs, like a lot of beans, a lot of vegetables, um, eggs, that sort of thing is a really good recovery meal for me. 
Would you say that you're keto or just low carb? No, just not even low carb, probably moderate carb. Yeah. Well, I think when I first got diagnosed, I know the nutritionist that I met with, I can't remember if she was a nutritionist or a dietitian. I think they were telling me to eat 60 grams per meal. And even Mm -hmm. then I thought, I remember counting that out after the appointment and thinking, that's a lot of carbs. Yeah. That's a ton of carbs. Yeah. It's like, you really have to sit down because I had just gotten diagnosed. And so I don't think I was eating that many carbs before I was diagnosed, you know, because I in in college, I was kind of a CrossFitter and I followed the paleo diet. And I think that kind of even after I stopped doing paleo, it kind of carried over into my life and I continued to eat a little bit higher fat, lower, lower carb, more vegetables. Um, Yeah, I've never never been a great vegetable eater, admittedly, but I'm getting better. Um, But yeah, I'm always just curious to see if people classify as keto or low carb and how they feel like that benefits their daily blood sugars. I mean, cause yeah, it's less, I mean, it's less to calculate for, it's less to go wrong. Um, do you think that you're just as energetic and you're just as healthy as, you know, if you were eating 120 grams of carbs a day? I think, yeah. I mean, I even feel better. I think, you know, if you have 80 carbs at lunchtime and then you're, you know, you have the blood sugar spike and then the crash and you're just feeling the slump all afternoon versus if you have chicken and vegetables, it's just easier on everything. Mm-hmm. And you know, I am on multiple injections a day. So sometimes I just don't want to take a, a shot. <laughs> so it's kind of nice. Yeah. if I don't have to cover for something. Um, but I'm not like that stringent that I won't, you know, eat a banana or something yeah. um, every once in a while. But I just think it's so much easier. And I think, you know, when I was diagnosed too, they were recommending tons of carbs just all day, every day. And it's, it's just such an interesting notion because you wouldn't recommend that a kid who's allergic to peanut butter eat peanut butter every day and just take his EpiPen. Um, so I kind of, you know, equate that it to that. It's like, I can't metabolize glucose. And so I should probably limit it at least a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure there's people that are gritting their teeth at our conversation because to be devil, to be devil's advocate. Yeah. You could theoretically eat 600 grams of carbs a day. And if you're perfect with insulin and your, you know, your movement techniques, yeah, you could stay steady and flat all day. It's just, it's probably a little more challenging. It, it, it'll require more forethought. It requires more activation. Um, and I think it probably requires more monitoring and stress. <laughs> I know cause I've done it because right when I got diagnosed, like I said, I was eating the plan that they put me on, which was yeah. like 60 to 70 grams of carbs per meal. And oof, I was checking myself. I, I wasn't on CGM at the time. So I was manually checking probably like 20, 25 times a day. Wow. And, and I still wasn't getting it anywhere near right. I was having highs and lows. And at the time I probably wasn't really great at pre-bolusing. So I didn't really understand like the timing aspect of insulin. And right. like I said, devil's advocate. Yeah. Theoretically you could eat as many carbs as you want. And I tell this to my siblings all, or not my siblings, but my, um, my family all the time, you know, like for instance, at Thanksgiving, people are looking at you like, who should you be eating that? And I say, well, I can eat as many carbs as I want. Mm-hmm. I just have to calculate for it. Um, right. Yeah. And it becomes more difficult, yes, to control your blood sugar if you miss it up. Um, right. So Yeah, there's such nuance. I mean, I hate it when people tell me I shouldn't eat something. I'm like, well, I can eat anything I want. But then on the other hand, I'm also really mindful about how it will affect me the rest of the day. For and sure. I, yeah, and I will say too, and you can talk on this if you want, that going lower carb will require you to eat more vegetables because you're going to have to start filling in those calories and nutrition. And so it mm-hmm. almost, it's almost like, okay, well, if you take away pasta and 
all, all that's left on your plate is chicken at dinner, well, then you're going to have to put something else on it. You're going to have to put spinach or asparagus or broccoli. And you're going to have to start adding in all these green and leafy vegetables that you, mm -hmm. know, you wouldn't if you were completely full on pasta or bread. And Right. Yeah. I and I mean, avocado works really well to fill in those calories. So <laughs> if I could have avocado at every meal, I probably would. Right. <laughs> Especially like the keto people, I see them, they put avocado on everything. It'll be like just completely things that you would never think of with avocado, but it's like avocado on top. Three minutes. Yeah. Out of the oh day. yeah. Avocado coffee. I mean. <laughs> Is that a thing? No, I think we should make it a thing. I know bacon, bacon coffee is a thing. Bacon coffee. Yeah. <laughs> bacon brew. If that's not already a thing, please no one steal that. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to trademark that and sell that right. at some point. Right. <laughs> So it talks a little bit about the first races that you did. So uh, you mentioned that before, like during or after college, you started doing fun runs and 5Ks. When did that become more of a goal for you and starting to train for actual races? And and how did your diabetes management go when you really started training seriously? Yeah. So I think the first big run I got excited about was a 10 mile race in Philly called the Broad Street Run. Mm -hmm. um, I was living in Philly at the time and I had a, a lot of really close running friends um, I was in grad school and studying public health. And so most of my friends were athletes and just really into that community. Um, and I ran the, the Broad Street Run. It's just straight down one street, Broad Street. Um, and it's the most fun run you can do if you're living in Philadelphia. There's just so much spirit. Everyone comes out. Um, I think they have, you know, like 30,000 runners run it. It's amazing. And after that race, I just completely fell in love with it. I just thought such a positive thing to do, um, getting outside, exercising, and then everyone was happy. Like they were running 10 miles in, you know, the end of May. It was really hot outside, but everyone was just like gleeful. Um, so that got me hooked. And then I started, you know, signing up for half marathons and other 10 mile races. And I just really loved it. I was hooked. Um, and yeah, I mean, my diabetes management has always just come along for the ride. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's not. I was running um, a funny story. I was running a half marathon. It was last year, a trail half. Um, and I it was the first half marathon I had ever run with my CGM. And so I thought this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to fly through it. I, you know, I had maybe one goo on me. I didn't even, I was like, this is going to be easy. So I started out, maybe I was around 140, 150 with very little IOB. I decreased my Lantus the night before I felt ready. Um, and my blood sugar, like medically was great. I stayed 117 like the entire time, but of course the CGM has a 15 minute lag. And so I was probably not above 70 the entire, I was just low the entire half marathon. And so my husband, um, was following me in his car with the Dexcom follow app on his cell phone and, and his, the GPS. And so he was like tracking where I was on the trail and then meeting me at different mileage points with like more goo and coconut water. Um, because I was low at every single stop, <laughs> but I didn't stop running. I just, I had to finish it because I'm so stubborn. And so, so you I think thought you after, were at 117, but you were actually at 70. Yeah, I was like, just run. My CGM must have been like 50 points off. I felt horrible. Um, yeah. I finished the race and we calculated that I had 250 carbs during the, the race. And so 
Um, you know, and I was just completely nauseous the rest of the day. But so that one was a little tough. Um, and I think I was just trying to micromanage my blood sugar too much beforehand. And, you know, when you first get on the CGM, you freak out about every high and low and you think, oh, I'm double up and I just took two units. I must take two more and that sort of thing. And I didn't have the patience just to kind of let it, um, you know, ride the wave a little bit. So, um, that one was a tough one. So I don't want to repeat that. (laughs) My wife's the same. She'll sit there and I'll be at work and she'll be like, well, why were you low for these periods of the day? Cause I got alerts for 20 minutes that you were at 50. I'm like, I wasn't at 50. I promise I was in a meeting and you know, it wasn't, I was probably at 80, but it was lying to you. It was lying to both of us because I was getting the alerts too. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love, yeah. yeah. I love Dex, but sometimes when I'm running, I'm like, I'm a hot sweater running kind of person. And it it a lot of times will say I'm significantly lower than I really am on runs, especially 30 to 45 minutes in. Uh, Right. Once like my heart rate's up and my core temperature is like definitely warmer, um, I think that it starts not lying, but it just, you know, I think it sweat or something gets a little confused. I think so too. Yeah. And then if you have a compression low, if you're, you know, running shorts are right on the spot, um, it can kind of mess you up. So (laughs) I I just read someone talking about that the first time. I think this whole time I've had Dexcom, I thought I was the only person that like, if I laid on it, it would give me a false slow. Yeah. Why is that? I wonder why. Cause that is not sweating is something. And I intuitively think, yeah, this could mess it up, but it doesn't seem like compression on it would mess it up so much, but hmm. right. I need to ask yeah. people that are on the freestyle if they have that issue. Right. For sure. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, I ran the a 10K race in Boulder, Colorado called the Boulder Boulder. And that is every year on Memorial Day weekend. It's a really fun race. Yeah, that's a huge race. Uh, huge race. Yeah. Like 50,000 runners. Yeah. It was the first year that I lived out here and I was like, I'm going to sign up for a race. It's going to be awesome. You know, I came from Philadelphia and then I moved to... 5,000 feet in elevation. I hadn't trained in, in Colorado at all. It was the first weekend I was living here in 2013 and I ran the Boulder Boulder and just struggled through the whole thing because running at elevation when you're not used to it is really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 85 degrees at 8 a.m. in the morning and Oof. I carb loaded just way too much. This was pre-CGM um, and I didn't run with my insulin that day because I wanted to be, you know, I didn't want to carry a pack or anything. Um, and when I finished, I drank, I must've drank two, two gallons of water at the finish line. I, my blood sugar was well over 500. So oh, wow. that was just a little too much carb loading and then struggling to breathe. <laughs> Why do you think it was so high that day? You, Cause you know. said you, you ate a lot of carbs beforehand, but I'm assuming it's because you expected it to be like to, to come down during the race or at least to stay level during the race. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was adrenaline or not being used to the elevation. Um, something just didn't kick in. I remember I ate two bananas and didn't cover and, um, yeah, they just never, it never went down. It was, so that was another, um, bad mistake I made. So got to find somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Do you normally run with insulin? I'm I'm assuming you mean like an insulin pen. Um, sometimes it depends on the length of my run. So if it's like a five to six mile run, I I won't take anything except my Dexcom. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's probably not good. I usually will take just some money. If I go low, I can stop somewhere or maybe a goo. Um, but anything, you know, longer than that, I will take insulin with me. 
What's your what's your go to goo flavor? I love the espresso love. Well, I've never met anyone that loved that one more than the chocolate outrage. Oh really? <laughs> I, I think I, I've had people say chocolate outrage and then I think marshmallow was one of my guest favorites. I'm trying to think of the other flavors, but I've never had anyone that liked the espresso love. But then again, you said that you have to have coffee before you run. So that makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. I like the vanilla bean too. That one's delicious. I haven't tried it. It's good. I've been slowly getting away from goose, but I've still got like a huge stash of them. So I'm going to at some point have to work my way through them. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> So when you were on a, when you were on a pump before you started really running, I mean, this must Uh must have been back in college or before college, would you run with your pump then or no, or like Um, play sports with it? Cause you had mentioned at one point you were on sports on the pump and yeah, no, I always disconnected and that kind of always messed me up too, because my swim practices were like two and a half hours long and Mm -hmm. apparently you can only disconnect from your pump for like an hour before it starts to affect your blood sugar. Yeah. Um, and I never really mastered that, like how long can I stay disconnected versus just suspending the insulin. And, you know, so that always kind of got confusing for me. Um, after, that, after that hour, what kind of issues would you have? Cause I'm, I'm guessing you were still trying to swim and so right. you've got another hour of practice left. Were you seeing high blood sugars, low blood sugars, or were you just feeling like crap? totally uh high blood sugars it would start like shooting through the roof and then i'd have to like step out of the pool and connect and bolus and disconnect and Mm. um and that's something that's really scary about going on the pump too is you know if your battery dies when you're sleeping and you're you go into dka very quickly because there's no background insulin um going at all times and so that's always been tricky um i guess that's the the trade-off though by, you know, you're able to manipulate temporary basils and that sort of thing, which you, you can't do on MDI. Do you have to, since you're on MDI now, do you have to worry about going low for runs? I or? do. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. I mean, I have to like carb load beforehand, um, and make sure I'm well above 200 to even start out on a run. Um, and it's so frustrating too, because sometimes I'll be high all morning and like drinking coffee and taking insulin for my coffee. And then when I'm finally ready to start my run, I'll be like 80 down into the right. And it's like, no. (laughs) So like today, if you're going to go for a run, you'd want to start above 200. Yeah. This morning. Um, so we, I went snowshoeing all day yesterday and I was low most of the day. So I ate a lot of carbs, which means I'll probably be high the next day. So when I started my run this morning, I was 246 um, and finished at 70. Um, wow. So if I, you know, wasn't super high, I would have had a really bad low when I was out there. But and so, how many how many miles are you running a week? Just to kind of estimate, you know, mm-hmm. how many times you're having to to deal with that. I would say an average of like 25 to 30. So it's just a constant calculation in my mind and. That's why I just think people with diabetes who are also athletes are just incredible because not only are they overcoming all of these, you know, just it's being a runner is hard. It's a hard sport. It's a great workout. It's good. It's good. Good for your heart. But then in addition to all of that, you have to manipulate insulin and food and blood sugars. And um, so it's a lot of, of calculations. It would definitely be easier if I just did yoga every day for sure. <laughs> It'd be less variables, right? Yeah. No offense to people who love yoga. I love yoga, but yeah. it's definitely easier if I'm having a hard blood sugar day to just do some yoga than go on a run. Well, it's safe to say if, if people are listening, they're at least somewhat interested in running because this isn't the diabetic yoga podcast. So. That's true. Yeah. 
<laughs> what's your like what's your next race? What are you training for now? So um I'm trying to get my husband to run his first half marathon. Um and there's a half, a trail half in Fort Collins on April 15th that we're gonna try and run together. So he's been coming out with me on some of my, you know, shorter runs and yeah, we're just gonna do it. Should be fun. I think, you know, something that I I like to take the pressure off myself. So I'm not huge on like PR or getting a crazy good time. It's mm-hmm. just getting out there and having fun. Um, so I think as long as we're out there and having fun and I always make a promise to myself that I don't stop to walk during a half marathon. And as yeah. long as I keep that, then I feel good. So your goal is to run the whole time and to have a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then that's not an awesome go goal. Yeah. when you're training, how do you, how do you know paces and stuff to train for without like a PR or like a goal time? So I do, you know, I do time like my total run um, and yeah. then just divide it by my number of miles. So I have a general idea, but I, I don't um, I don't want to have that internal conflict with myself and then like get mad at myself if I'm a little slower than the day before. Um, if my mile is like 10 seconds, you know, slower or something like that. So yeah. do you run with a watch? Like, do you have like a Garmin or an Apple watch that you track all your runs with? I do. Yeah, I, have a, I like the Garmin watches. So I only recently found out that you can sync the Dexcom to certain Garmin watches. Do you do that or no? I don't do that. No, yeah, it doesn't sync to my watch. Yeah, but that's awesome. So do you run with anything else? Like belts, camelbacks, arms? Sometimes. Like arm. Yeah. People, not since 2000, but do people still run with like, you know, their phone on their arm? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, people still do it. Um, I'll do that for half marathons too, but generally I don't run with a pack unless it's a, you know, longer than 10 miles, but I normally just carry my CGM, a low snack, iPhone, Garmin watch keys. So I try and keep it pretty, pretty minimal. I hate having all the extra weight on me. It's bouncing around. I, yeah. I ran a half yesterday and I had like the, the foot belt and I had like all sorts of stuff in there. And I'm not gonna lie, like mile 10, I was annoyed with how bouncy it was starting to get, but right. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's also nice having all my stuff on me too. And I'm, I'm on a pump, so I have to, you know, be tethered to that. But like right. you said earlier, it's kind of nice being able to control my basal rates like on the spot. So totally. Yeah. That um, must be nicer. What other, <laughs> what other equipment would you recommend to someone who's starting to run and has diabetes like any, anything else that you've used that's helped you. I know you said the CGM, where do you, wait, where do you wear the CGM? Not, I don't know if that's like a personal question, but no, a lot of people yeah. are like real big on the arm spot. I've never put my Dexcom on my arm only because yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of fat on the back of my arm and it just seems painful in that spot. Right. Yeah. I always put it in my stomach. Um, I think I tried it on my low hip once and then promptly ripped it out. Um, immediately. Immediately. So that wow. was, awful and i've never done it in my arm although like all the athletic looking people do in yeah. the arm you know yeah i'm online and i'm like man these people look great they all got their you know their arm cgms and they're rocking it and i just can't help yeah. but think i'd i'd rip it off or i'd bump it onto right. something or yeah i mean I, I i ran into a woman at trader joe's a couple of months ago because she had her dex come on her arm and you know you have to identify members of your tribe so <laughs> wait I did you go oh. to her awkwardly and say hey i noticed this thing on your arm <laughs> I did. Yeah. What'd she say? <laughs> oh, she thought it was awesome. You know, we had like a 10 minute conversation about blood sugars and stuff, but, <laughs> um, it's a little weirder if you like lift up your shirt and so show someone your belly. It's like, Hey, you did know, you? So. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
So tell me why you ripped it off of your your upper you said upper thigh or upper hip? Upper hip. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a so, crazy story. I was heading home for Christmas. It was like two years ago and running late at the airport. And of course my blood sugar was high. So I had to pee so badly and I almost missed my flight, but I thought I was, I'm going to pee my pants if I don't go to the bathroom right now. And I ran to the bathroom and went to the bathroom and ripped it out. And Oh, okay. I thought you meant you on purpose ripped it out. No, on accident. And then it was, and then I didn't have a spare for my 10 days at home and it was just bad. I don't guess you can't like shove it back in there. I don't think that would work. I've thought that before too, though. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, by no means medical advice, but if anyone (laughs) has done that and it successfully worked, let me know. Cause I don't, I don't think that's possible. It's bad. No. So I stick with this, with the stomach, but I run out of spots cause it's just, you know, alternating sides and, um, you know, we're human pin cushions. So it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. Walking testimonies. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess talk about any other experiences you've had with the running that you think are insightful to us as the listener and, you know, everything that Kristen's learned about running with diabetes. Yeah. So I would just say, um, it's just really good to get out there. And more than anything, I think it's really therapeutic for mental clarity and clearing your head. Um, and at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter, you know, how far you go or how fast you are, if you're in competition with other people, I think just getting out there, even if you've never gone running before and you want to run for five minutes or 10 minutes, or you can't even run a mile, but you can do kind of like a mishmash of walking and running and get there. Um, I think any movement is good for your blood sugar. It's good for your mind. It's good for your body. And being a runner, you definitely have to focus more on your blood sugars all the time. You have to really be cognizant of if it's going high or low. But I think when you get into the groove of running and you can probably attest to this, if you're, you know, really in the middle of like a good song or you're just really feeling your jam, you forget that you have diabetes for a little bit. And I think that's the most beautiful thing. Yeah. It's a complete escape. Yeah. And and that's really awesome. So I would just want to recommend everybody and, you know, get out there and just move. And whether that's running or walking or hiking or just being in nature, I think um, it's really helpful. And I think you'll be happier because diabetes is a long haul. So anything you can do to cope better is it's, would be awesome. It's funny you mention that because a few months ago I was running and I was on a trail and I had my dogs with me and I was just completely in the zone, like you said it. And so I test it to runner's high because you hit that certain point where you're just kind of blissfully happy and the run's going well and your nutrition's well, your blood sugar's fine. But then there's like a next level and it's like the diabetic runner's high where like you said, you can not only have good runner's high, like you're just completely buzzed off life and you're running, but also you forget that you're a diabetic for a little bit and it's kind of nice. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Of course in 10 minutes you're going to re-remember when you accidentally hit your Dexcom and you're like, ow. Or, (laughs) you know, or you're snapped back to reality by the alarm from your phone. But it's kind of nice. Like you said, like diabetic runner's high hashtag coin that, um, is it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's magical. I mean, my, we, I was on a run the other day and my husband was like, what's your blood sugar? And I completely, I hadn't thought about my blood sugar in like an hour and a half. And I was like, Oh yeah, I have diabetes. Uh, I'm (laughs) one ten. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Well, so we'll kind of segue into the very last um, section of the show, which I call tempo talk, which is 
Um, I'll throw some fast questions at you. You can take as long or as short to answer as you want. Um, and if you want to elaborate on any of them, you can't, but there'll be a bunch of random questions and then, um, uh, and I'll end with saying thanks for you know coming on the show and spending your time with us here at the Diabetic Running Podcast. Cool. Okay. So Tempo Talk, artificial sweetener or real sugar? Uh, real. All the time? I, I know you said you're low carb. Oh, I don't <laughs> think you do. You didn't say that, but I did. So um, how often would you say you hit real sugar? Well, I would I would recommend like eating a banana over a diet soda if banana counts as sugar. Oh, yeah. Well, for okay. me, it does, because every time yeah. I eat one, I'm at 300. So. Right. <laughs> Favorite pre-race meal? Um, I would just say coffee or a protein shake with coffee flavor. What about the night before? Night before, I love sushi. Really? I think you're the only, you're the first diabetic that's ever leaned towards rice the night before. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't have many diabetic friends other than you guys, so... <laughs> Favorite food you'd eat a huge portion of if you were not a diabetic? Oh, figs, 100%. Like fig newtons or the like straight figs, the plants? Like natural figs, like amazing Mediterranean green tiger figs. They're candy from heaven. <laughs> and you would just eat a giant bowl of figs? Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they sell them at Trader Joe's. They're only in season, like august and september of every year but you can get them and um i load up and i'm like i know that i'm going to take 50 units of humalog to eat all these figs today but they're 100 percent worth it i highly recommend eating a fresh fig congrats on being the first person that's ever answered with a fruit or a vegetable i'm (laughs) yeah figs are fruit but that's definitely the healthiest answer that i've gotten so far that's good i always feel horrible when i eat them because they're very high carb but um they're delicious Go-to running music. Um, I'm really loving Griffin lately, and I like Odessa. And, I mean, the new Justin Timberlake stuff is just off the wall. You got to check it out. I know one of the three things that you just mentioned, so I'm going to have to Google Griffith and Odessa. Yeah, it's good stuff. Awesome. Something you wish everyone knew about diabetes. Oh, I mean, there's a million things I wish people knew, but I think... The go-to, um, yeah, your number one pet peeve, it could be. Some, yeah, my number one pet peeve is when someone comes up to me that, like, heard I went low the day before or something, or I was with them, I went low, and they're like, are you recovered from that low? And I'm like, if you only knew, it takes about 10 minutes, and then I'm good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've had, I've had two more since then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Advice for a new diabetic runner. Oh, man. Um, I mean, I would just say find other people with diabetes that love to run. I think I think finding community is really important. Um, And I think just keep doing it as long as you're having fun. As soon as you stop having fun doing something, it just starts to feel like a chore. And I think if you have diabetes, like our lives are so regimented already, just find something that is fun and that you can find that little bit of escape. you know, so if you're not having fun running, it's what's the point? I think as long as you, you know, run to good music, find fun races, meet friends and run together, I think just keep it fun. Well, Kristen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can listeners follow you and your training and your life? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great talking with you. Yeah. Where um where's the best place to follow you? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? Yes, yeah, so I am on Instagram and Twitter. Um 
Falabelle is my Twitter handle and then C Falabelle on Instagram. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Take care. Hey guys, that wraps up today's interview. Once again, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the show. It's the perfect way to make sure you get fresh episodes delivered straight to your phone every Monday. Also, make sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Diabetic Running Podcast, or visit me at thediabeticrunningpodcast.com. If you think you or anyone you know would be a perfect interviewee for the show, make sure to reach out to me on any of those platforms and tell me a little bit about the story you think that we should share. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys again next week. Happy training. Happy training.